This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. And so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 11. Um, If you would, would you mind standing with me? And we're going to read the Word of God together and do something a little bit different. As I read these three verses, at the very end, I'm going to say, this is the Word of the Lord, and I would hope that you will respond back by saying, Amen. Okay, so this is the Word of the Lord, and you'll say, Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. A very familiar passage to us. I really feel like the Lord has put it on my heart, not only for, for you guys, but for us as well, and the things that we've been going through over the last couple of years, and obviously what we've gone through as a church, big C, here in the United States over COVID, and all the social unrest, and all the stuff that's been going on, and obviously the things that you guys have been going through over the last six to eight weeks as well, and so I feel like it's a fitting passage for us this morning. It says in verse 28, Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Father, we come before you this morning, and we do praise you and thank you for your word. Truly, it is the light unto our path and the lamp unto our feet, Lord. And this morning, as we were just singing those words, Holy Spirit, come, we do pray that. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Not only are we seeing it, but our hearts are crying out for it. Lord, we desire a work of your Holy Spirit in our lives afresh and anew. Paul exhorted us to be filled with the Holy Spirit continuously. And so, Lord, we need it this morning. As we gather in this place, Father, we come Um, Not as people who have figured it out, but as people, Lord God, who are needy and dependent and longing for more of your presence and your touch in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. And, Lord, we pray that your word would speak to us this morning. Lord, would show us who you are, would draw us closer and closer into your presence, Lord, and that we would experience everything that the word of God speaks to us and is written for us to receive this morning. Lord, we pray for your anointing. We pray for your blessing. Uh, We talked about expository teaching a little while ago. Maddie prayed for that. And Lord, we ask that you would also help us to be expository listeners. You'd help us to listen and participate, Lord. And Lord, we ask at the end of our time together today that you would do such a work that we would feel the grip of God upon our lives, bringing peace and rest and security and safety. Speaking into our hearts, Lord God, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start out this morning by just giving a quick little story. I think it's a good primer for us as we get into Matthew Matthew chapter 11, and it starts like this. Um, It remains to this day one of the most mystifying missing persons cases in FBI history. The date was August 15th, 1930. And on that day, 45-year-old New York State Supreme Court justice named Joseph Crater, after spending an evening out with family and friends, hailed a taxi cab and was never heard from or seen again. The FBI immediately gets involved, and they begin to suspect a kidnapping by someone who had a grudge against Justice Crater, and yet 
There was no evidence and no clues, and it led nowhere. Immediately, they changed their direction and their focus, their attention on the mob, because over the years, Justice Creator had created quite a few enemies in the mob, and yet again, that led nowhere. To this day, there's only one clue which remains. When Mrs. Crater returned to their apartment that evening, on the table, there was a check made out to her and a note attached to it in her husband's handwriting that simply said this, I am very, very tired. Love, Joe. The question remains, were those words just a comment at a particularly difficult and trying day at the end of that kind of a day or was his note saying I'm tired I'm worn out I'm fatigued and I give up to this to this day we can't know for sure for lack of evidence it's presently believed that justice creator rode off in a taxi cab that night to an unknown destination where he took his own life because weariness had weighed down his soul. I know it's kind of a heavy story at the beginning, but it kind of paints the picture. We live in a time where depression and discouragement is rampant. Over the last year, we've seen, we've heard in the news, depression, discouragement, uh, suicide rates have gone through the roof. And I'm sure that some of us from time to time can relate to that kind of weariness. I'm sure that occasionally we feel that deep sense of fatigue, not a, not a physical fatigue from an extra hard day at work or an extra hard practice or from working in the yard all day long or cleaning your room, but it's an emotional weariness, a spiritual weariness, a soul weariness. I'm speaking of a weariness that comes from life itself. Now, if you're of average height and weight, here is some of what you're going to experience in an average 24-hour period. Your heart is going to beat some 103,689 times. Your blood is going to travel 168 million miles as your heart pumps approximately four ounces of blood with each beat. You're going to breathe some 23,040 times and inhaling some 438 cubic feet of air. Your stomach's going to take in 3.5 pounds of food and you're going to drink some 2.9 quarts of liquid. You're going to lose 7 to 8 pounds of waste throughout a 24-hour period. And if you're a man, you're going to speak about 4,800 words. I see the women already smiling. If you're a woman, you're going to speak upwards of 7,000 words. Some of you twice that, I'm sure. You're going to move some 750 muscles, and you're going to exercise 7 million brain cells. That's a lot that takes place in an average 24-hour period. No wonder we're tired at the end of the day, right? But there's a weariness that is much more draining than physical fatigue. It's a weariness that you feel when you just don't know if you can get out of bed, when you just don't know if you can go one more day. It's a weariness that a friend feels when they've been abandoned or misunderstood. It's the weariness that you feel when you can't stop doing the things that you know you're not supposed to be doing, but you just keep doing them. And behind you, you leave a wake of destruction, discouragement, disappointment, and distrust. 
It's a weariness that you feel when you can't land that job or get that promotion or get into that group and you always feel that you don't fit in or that no one understands and you can't get a break. It's a weariness that you feel when you just can't seem to find the right girl or find the right guy and you just resolve to be single the rest of your life. It's a weariness that you feel when you feel like you're just stuck and you feel like perhaps this is as good as life is ever going to be for you. It's the weariness of life where you feel like you just can't measure up, you can't get ahead, and you can't get a win. All of us have been there before, right? So this is the weariness of life that can take the toll on and wear down even the seemingly most successful and confident individuals, even people like Judge Joseph Crater. But here's the thing. God knows that weariness. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, Hebrews 4, 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The handbook on the book of Hebrews says this, that this may be expressed as our high priest is one who completely sympathizes with our weaknesses or is one who understands well our weaknesses. The point is this, that as as God the Son, Jesus has never responded wrongly to any of the temptations that he faced, but as a human being, as man, as flesh and bone, Jesus felt every reality that you feel, that I feel. He felt tired and weary and worn out and broken down from the demands and pressures of life. Jesus' likeness to us via the incarnation means that he was tempted in the same way that all humankind is tempted. In fact, the word sympathize in this verse means to feel or suffer with. And it denotes the idea that Jesus felt it because he lived it. Jesus felt it because he lived it. He felt the weight of responsibility. He felt the physical fatigue. He felt the the mental weariness of fulfilling that responsibility. And what's more, he felt the crushing despair of the cross looming. We know in John chapter 4 verse 6, it says that Jesus weary from his journey, sat down beside Jacob's well to rest. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus took time away from the needs of the people and got away to a high place to pray, to seek his father's face in order to be refreshed and restored. The word weakness here in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 is more than merely sufferings. It is our outward and our inward infirmities, the weariness that happens when enduring the burdens of life. The word denotes objective ineffectiveness, not merely feelings of inadequacy. And the context indicates that the weaknesses that we experience are the actual sources of our temptation, right? It's not the event of our temptation, but really the cause of the things that make us susceptible to temptation and sin. And you guys have heard it before that we're not thieves because we steal. We steal because what? We're thieves at heart, right? We're not liars because we lie. We lie because in our heart, we're liars. 
right? And so again, this idea is that the weaknesses that the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about here in chapter 4, verse 15, are the actual sources of our sin and our temptation. And Jesus understands all of this. He understands that we are weak and fragile. In Psalm 103, verse 14, it says that he knows our frame. He remembers, or literally he's mindful that we are but dust. And guys, don't miss this. Jesus knew weariness in ways that you and I can never know them, can never understand. Think about this. Only the one who is the author of rest can fully know the strength of weariness. He knows what we're facing, what we're dealing with. He's faced worse. And so we're talking about this heaviness of life, the weariness that so easily besets us. Jesus, knowing all of this, knowing what goes on in our lives, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, says these words, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Now, up to this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus was proclaiming a message of repentance. Now in chapter 11, we see Jesus preaching a new message. The first 10 chapters of Matthew, Jesus gives a corporate proclamation to the nation to repent. But here in chapter 11 of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives a new message. This time, it's a personal invitation to the individual. He beckons you and he beckons me. In fact, the verbiage here is a gentle command as if a father is beckoning a child saying, come on, come hither, come to me. Charles Spurgeon said that the word come is God's favorite word. God's favorite word. He says he drives no one away. He calls all to himself. His favorite word is come. And he behooves us as his children to respond with reverence as to a sovereign Lord of all, and yet with confidence to one who is able to supply all good. Amen? Again, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it's on your screens again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then look at verse 16. Let us, some of your Bibles will say, therefore let us, then with confidence or with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace. I love how it talks about the throne of grace. For the Christian, that's what it is. It's a throne of grace, a place of grace and favor. For the unbeliever, it's a place of judgment. For, but for those who are in the family of God, for his children, it's a throne of grace. And notice it says that we have the privileged opportunity to come with confidence and to come with boldness to draw near to him that, it says, for this reason, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where are we to go? when we're in despair? Where are we to go when we need help? The scriptures tell us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. It's in that place, in no other but that place, do we find the mercy and the grace that we need in those moments. Amen? Amen.
The writer of the book of Hebrews is echoing the words of our Savior Jesus here in Matthew chapter 11 as he calls us to come. Our Lord has invited us to come and all of us that are tired and weary are able to come, invited to come if we're burdened, disappointed, discouraged, despondent, disconnected, whatever it might be, we're called to come to him. And he says, all of you who labor, that word can also be translated who are weary. Come to me all who are weary and who carry heavy burdens as a new living translation records it. The word labor or weary speaks of those who are tired and who are toiling in life. It reminds me of of Mark chapter 6. You guys know the passage in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus has just been ministering and he pushes his disciples, puts his disciples into a boat and he pushes them out into the Sea of Galilee. He goes up to a high place to pray. And as he's praying, a storm hits. You guys know this story probably very well. And he looks down and he sees his disciples and they're struggling because the winds are contrary to them. The waves are contrary to them, right? And it says in the ESV that they were making headway painfully. Painfully. The New King James, the NASB says they were straining at the oars. The King James says that they were toiling. And I like how the New Living Translation says, it says they were in serious trouble. (laughs) They were in serious trouble. And this is the picture that we see. These are the people that Jesus is calling unto himself. Those who are making headway painfully. Those who are in serious trouble, who are straining and toiling in life. But interestingly enough, the language here in Matthew chapter 11 Verse 28, when it talks about those who labor or those who are weary, it speaks of those who literally are, are heaping these burdens upon themselves. They're heaping these, burden, these burdens upon themselves. And so this invitation is to all of those who ceaselessly and wearyingly, who understand how empty the effort and energy of life is, he's inviting all of those to come to Jesus and to rest. And then he says, those who are heavy laden or are carrying heavy burdens, those who are loaded down. And this is interesting because this is in contrast to what he's just said about those who are weary and those who are laboring. Those who are weary and those who are laboring, they're heaping those things upon themselves. These people who are heavy laden, he's speaking about those individuals whom others are putting these things on them, these weights, these loads upon them, expectation, demands, pressures, timelines, etc. Alexander McLaren, the 19th century Scottish, uh, Scottish preacher, says this, For most men have not to work, but to bear. Not only to toil, but to sorrow. There are efforts that need to be put forth which task all of our energy and leave the muscle flaccid and feeble. And many of us at one and the same moment to work and to weep, to toil whilst our hearts are beating like a forge hammer, a burden of sorrow as well as effort and toil is sooner or later the lot of all men. This reminds us of Genesis chapter three, the curse of the fall. God speaking to man and tells them that, hey, you're going to be, whereas before the, the earth freely gave to you, freely produced, now you're going to have to labor. You're going to have to toil. By the sweat of your brow, it will then give to you, and you will live from it. 
It's in this light that Jesus invites all to come to him. And I love this word all in the Greek. If any of you guys are Bible, um, you study the Bible a lot, you look into the words, you dig deep into it. This word all is an amazing word because in the Greek, it literally means all. (laughs) It just means all. And the invitation is open to all, those who are exhausted, those who are burdened down, those who recognize their need. He calls the saved and the unsaved alike. He calls those who labor in vain to establish their own righteousness. He calls the man and woman who is continually haunted with the guilt and the shame of their past. He calls the believer who struggles to walk in grace. He calls those who are just overwhelmed by life. Jesus invites all to come to him to receive rest for their weary souls. And this is not a power nap. This is not a vacation or respite. He's talking about a rest that truly restores, deeply restores, a rest that brings peace, that calms the storm, a soul rest. And what's incredible is that he's the only one that gives us invitation because he's the only one that can fulfill its promise. Listen, this thing called Christianity, if you've walked it long enough, This thing called Christianity is too heavy for you to bear. This thing called life is too wearisome for you to do it on your own. I remember a few years ago reading an interview. Um, Harrison Ford was giving an interview, and they're talking about all the things that he's accomplished. In fact, they're getting ready to film a new Indiana Jones, right? Another episode with him. He's like 107, and he's going to be in this thing. He'll still look amazing, though, I'm sure, right? Um, In fact, I guess my daughter was telling me that he injured his shoulder in the filming of this movie because he's such an active guy. But anyways, they're interviewing him. They're talking to him about all the different things that he's accomplished over his life and the movies and, you know, the things that he's received because of those movies and the fame and all of that. And they said, I asked him, do you feel like your life is fulfilled? And he said, no. No. And you could see the emptiness in his eyes as he responded. The only place in the world to put that weariness of life is at the cross. No other human being is able to bear it for you. No one else can help you with it. The only place we can bring it is to the foot of the cross. Jesus came to bear the burden of our sin, to save us from the crushing weight of our guilt and shame. He alone understands our weaknesses, and now he invites you and he invites me to come and bring our weaknesses and our heaviness to him. I love God's economy. I love it. Look what it says here. It says that there's this, in this passage, there's this giving and this receiving, that Jesus gives us a gift when we respond to his invitation. His immediate personal effectual rest is freely given to all who come to him by faith. And there's the promise as we come. Here's the promise. All those who come to him will receive rest. It's not a suggestion. He's not saying it's possible that you'll find rest here or that you may be restored here or even it's probable. He's saying that you will. You will find rest here. In Jesus, our great Redeemer, the conscience, the heart, and the understanding obtain 
rest. I don't know about you guys, when I'm studying, when I'm reading, I love to look at a bunch of different translations of the scriptures, and one of my favorites is the Amplified Bible. I would never teach from it per se, but I love referring to it. And this morning, I want to refer to it because this passage, I think, it, it lends so much more depth and nuance to this verse for our understanding. In the Amplified Version, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden and overburdened and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. That's what Jesus is offering. Not just a break, not just a time out, but he's talking about Eve, or ease and relief and refreshment. And when we've obtained the rest that he gives, this ease, this relief, this refreshment, then and only then we shall be ready to bear or to start to hear of the further rest that we will find in him. But in order to receive that rest, we must take up his yoke, he says. And it's in our best interest to do so. This is the second command that Jesus gives for us in this passage, and it brings with it further rest. Whenever we see this word yoke, how many of you immediately think, oh, rest? You see this word yoke, oh, it it doesn't conjure up these pictures of rest. What does it do? Burden and toil and sweat and hardship. That's the picture we get in our mind, right? And it's amazing that God uses things like this, this agricultural term, something that people would understand and relate to in order to communicate a spiritual reality, in order to communicate a spiritual truth. What did Jesus do for a living besides preaching? What was he, we talk about Jesus is the carpenter, right? The carpenter, you guys can speak up, it's okay, right? The carpenter, he's a carpenter, but not a carpenter as we think of today. He didn't build houses, he didn't construct buildings. During that period of time, carpenters would make furniture. They would make farming equipment. And so farmers, if they needed a new yoke, they would go to a carpenter. They would bring their oxen to the carpenter in order to have that yoke built. And so he would begin, the carpenter would begin by measuring the shoulder of this oxen, the, the girth of its neck, the, the height of its withers, the breadth of its chest. And he would then take those measurements and he would shape a rough rudimentary piece of wood to mate perfectly with that ox. And each yoke would be specifically made and shaped, custom made for that ox. Because as, as he has these measurements, the carpenter knows now exactly how to make that yoke so perfectly that it's not going to cause any friction or discomfort. It's not going to press on any pressure points and, and cause uh, discomfort for that animal to keep him from being able to pull the maximum weight possible. And typically, it wasn't just one ox, but two oxen. And this is what we learned from history, as you look back on it, we see that these oxen, this team, there was always one who was a leader and one who was the younger ox and one who was a follower, or we would say disciple in this case, right? A disciple oxen. And this carpenter would take those, these measurements and measure the lead ox and measure then the other ox, the number two guy, and he would begin to shape and design these yokes so that there would be an appropriate weight distribution 
the lead ox would be getting 90 to 80% of the weight. And the other oxen would get 10 to 20% of the weight. Each yoke being custom fit. You couldn't just take a yoke and stick it on any other team. It wouldn't work. It would cause friction and discomfort. And that, that ox and that team would not be able to perform like it was meant to perform. But these things were shaped specifically This younger ox was meant to come alongside this older ox to learn from it, to understand when to pull, how to pull, how to turn, when to turn, when to stop, when to go. And so he would come alongside and bear some weight, but not the full weight, and he would learn from the other oxen. And here's the thing, and we don't want to miss this. Jesus describes this yoke as what? His yoke. It's his yoke. It's made for him. He will lead and bear the majority of the weight. The other half of the yoke has been made to fit you specifically, but the burden of the weight was not meant for you. And we have a tendency to take the burden upon ourselves, don't we? We have a tendency just to pile it up, to pile it up. I was talking to a brother a few minutes ago. He goes, hey, I came on for this, and over time I've been able, they've been putting, I have this to do and this to do, and I take on this, and I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm doing this and this. How many of us can tell the same story? We signed on for one thing, and all of a sudden there's more and more and more. How many times have we said things like, if I would have known I was signing up for this, I wouldn't have done it, right? Getting married, I wouldn't have done it, maybe. Being a parent, Man, if people would have told us how hard it is to be a parent, nobody would sign up for that, right? It is hard. A friend of mine said that the hardest point is when, you're, when your kids leave the house and they get married and they start having kids. That's the hardest part of parenting. My daughter's 18 going off to college. I was just actually thinking about this the other day. When I was 18, I went to Oregon State and my dream was to be an NFL football player like every college athlete is. And all of a sudden, two years later, I'm getting married. I would have never guessed that I would get married two or three years out of college. And my wife is thinking, I, never, I would have never signed up for this if I would have known how difficult it would have been. But the Bible tells us all of this, that this picture of the yoke, Jesus says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and understand that this yoke was not meant for you to bear. The weariness, the fatigue, the burnout, just the, the, the heaviness of life is not meant for you to bear. Come alongside me and learn from me, he says. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We look at a yoke and we think that's not something I want. But we're not supposed to fear the yoke. The Bible tells us that his commands are good and holy and just. The yoke that Jesus speaks of is not burdensome. Warren Wearsby says this, this word easy, at the close of this section of scripture, the word easy means well-fitting. Jesus has just the yoke that's tailor-made for our lives and our needs. It's a yoke that's lined with love and it's a yoke that has purpose. Take my yoke, he says. I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your existence. Let me take over the reins of your life and direct you. Let me help you. Let me bear the weight. Let me lead you. And all that sounds great. But it takes submission. And that's another thing that we don't like. We don't like yokes and we don't like submission. But it takes submission. 
Guys, listen, there is a peace in submission. There's a peace in abdicating the control of your life. A peace in saying, Lord, take the reins of my life and have your way in me. There is a peace in surrender and in taking up his yoke upon us. In verse 28, I want you guys, if you take notes in your Bibles, to highlight these things, to circle them, to put an asterisk by them, to underline them, whatever you do in your Bibles, or if you're taking notes in a notebook, I love this section because it talks about in verse 28 here, we're encouraged to come. In verse 29, we're commanded to take. And this is a, a deeper experience. Jesus is, is inviting us into a deeper encounter. And what he's saying is, is that when we come to Christ by faith, then Jesus gives us this rest. But when we take on his yoke, we find rest that deeper rest of surrender and obedience. There's two different rests here. Verse 28 and verse 29. The first rest in verse 28 is peace with God. It's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where he tells us that you've been justified by faith and now you have peace with God. Come unto me, all of you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Peace with God. We've been fighting and struggling and scratching and clawing our way to survive, just to make ends meet, just to, just to live another day. And in so doing, we're doing it many ways without the Lord. We're just trying to do it in our own strength, in our own ingenuity, in our own understanding. And in so doing, we're kicking against the goad, so to speak. And so he says, come unto me and you'll find rest peace with God. The second rest in verse 29 is the peace of God, which is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Philippians 4, 6 through 8, where he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the what? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Two different pieces, peace with God and the peace of God. Again, Alexander McLaren said this, there is rest in coming to Christ. The rest of a quiet conscience which gnaws no more. The rest of a conscious friendship and union with God in whom alone are our souls home and harbor and repose. The rest of fears dispelled. The rest of forgiveness received into the heart. Do you want that rest? I know I do. Do you need that rest? I know that I do. And as soon as we go to him, he promises that we'll find it. The third and final instruction that our Lord gives those who are weary is to learn from him. To learn from him. This word from is a preposition with a genitive. Most scholars think it should actually be learn of him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. A lot of scholars believe that that word of shouldn't even be there. It should just be learn Christ. Learn me. Take my yoke upon you and learn me. And the first idea we can learn of Christ, that talks about knowing him, having a knowledge of who he is on an external basis. But learning him, knowing Christ personally, that's internal. Jesus is inviting us to take on his attributes, his nature, his personality. The first two commands, come and take. 
in verses 28 and 29 represent a crisis as we come and yield to Christ. But this last step to learn Christ, it's a process. You see, as we learn more about him, we find a deeper peace. As we learn more about him, we find a deeper rest because we trust him more. We rely upon him more. We're depending upon him more. Craig Blomberg in his commentary on Matthew 11 said this, the invitation to come to Christ remains for all today, but now as then it requires the recognition that persons cannot come by exalting themselves, but only by completely depending on and trusting in Christ. Guys, life is simplified and life is unified around the person of Christ. Luke in Acts chapter 3 verse 20 said, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. That's what he's calling us into, into his presence. That's where we find this time of refreshing, this place of rest and peace. It's in his presence. I'm going to have the worship team start making their way up as we close here. Just a couple last thoughts. As we learn of Christ, or literally as we learn Christ, we become more like him. And here's the thing. If we become as he is, if we can become as he is, we shall rest as he does. Again, the Amplified Version, looking at verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and humble or lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Relief, ease, and refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. That's what Jesus offers. In the midst of all that we have gone through as a people of God in the last 18, 19 months, and all that you guys as a community of believers have gone through in the last few months, on top of everything that's built up behind, not to mention the things that you're going through personally, this is the rest that Jesus offers. Recreation, blessed quiet, ease and relief. I want to close this last quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, these words mean rest about all things, everything, intellectual, um, spiritual, physical, emotional rest. This, these words mean rest about all of these things. He says, he who is uneasy about anything has not found rest. That's challenging to me. Because I, I want to believe that I rest in the Lord. I want to believe that I wait upon him. I want to believe that I'm hanging on to him at all times. I'm leaning into him when things get difficult, especially when the winds and the waves are contrary. But he says this, he who is uneasy about anything has not found rest. That's challenging. He goes on to say, a thousand thorns and briars grow on the soil of this earth and no man can happily tread life's ways unless his feet are shod with that preparation of the gospel of peace, which Jesus gives. In Christ, we are at rest as to our duties for he instructs and helps us in them. In him, we are at rest about our trials for he sympathizes with us in them. 
With his love, we are restful as to the movements of providence for his father loves us and will not suffer anything to harm us. Concerning the past, we are at rest in his forgiving love. As to the present, it is bright with his loving fellowship. As to the future, it is brilliant with his expected advent. We may rest in Jesus as to our sick child, as to our business trouble, as to our grief of any kind, for he is our comforter in all things and our sympathizer in every form of temptation. Amen? This rest that we seek, that we long for, this peace that every single human being is searching for, it's not found in a different job. It's not found in a different hobby. It cannot be found in a different state or city, in a different house, a different spouse. It can't be found in a different relationship or even in a different church. Yes, in a different church. This peace that we so desperately seek is found in only one place, and that's in Jesus. Let's pray.